Hello, and welcome to episode 66 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, May 27th, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's going great. How are you? I'm pretty good. School year is almost over. Everyone has made it through. Yeah. Things are... We're winding it's, up and we can just stay home and relax. <laughs> As opposed doing to that, yeah. stay home and scurry. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We've had some sunshine and it's, it's going pretty well. Good. And you're, Glad feel, to hear. you're feeling better? Yes. Uh, to update people because it will explain my really low key entries this this time around, I had the flu, like the actual flu. I was just completely insulted by my own immune system. (laughs) And that was super weird and kind of scary because we didn't know what it was and went and had all the tests. And, and my big concern was that shortly after being sick, I was supposed to have my second vaccine shot. Our general practitioner said that it was as long as I was improving that it was more important to stay on schedule with the vaccine. But let's just say that I had a really robust vaccine response. So that was kind of tricky. But I am so glad to be on this side of vaccinations. We're almost fully vaccinated here at our house. And that is super exciting. It is. Now we just need to get the rest of the U.S. and the rest of the world vaccinated and we can. Yeah. We start to get back to normal. Yeah, it's um, it's it feels really good. It feels really positive to to be in that club. I'm happy yes, to be there for sure. All right, so let's let's get on get on the road with our with podcast. We will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and bingo! It is the season. It starts well for us. It starts tomorrow, but. It'll be already begun, all the excitement when you guys hear this. So uh, we'll be going over all the details again. So on the needles, I'm still kind of all over the place with my knitting. So I've been off and on working on the socks for Simon, uh, the OMG pattern by Megan Williams with yarn from Must Stash perfect socks self-striping and tangled lights, which is a Christmas colorway that's not too Christmassy. Those are on my nine inch cirques. And those are still kind of my in the car on a last minute Zoom knitting where I just, you know, need something for a few minutes and don't want to think about it. So those are moving along, but slowly. The nine inch cirques are, you know, they're okay. They seem to be working out all right. I don't know if they're going to be my favorite. I still haven't gotten to the the heel or anything where I'm doing like a back and forth. So I'll be interested, interested to see how that works out when I get there, whenever that is. Also been trying to finish at least one of my monkey socks. It's a pattern by Cookie A that's been made by a bajillion knitters. And that's in the Three Irish Girls Culloden Sock in Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. And it's turning out so cute. It's a, a variegated yarn in bright blue and bright yellow and white. I think there's some green in there as well. And it's just, it's just a beautiful morning of a sock. So I'm trying to get that done because I, it is using up a pair of sock needles and think I might need it for the next round of sock madness, which will be starting shortly, but I'll get to that in a minute. So I want to at least finish that one sock, hopefully soon. It is a super fast pattern. It is a lace pattern, but fairly mindless and easily memorized. So 
I met the heel on that and then I'll just have the foot and that should be done pretty quickly if I get a chance to work on it. I was going to get some work done on my Go Tell the Bees shawl, which I had started, I don't know, that was the one where I, I just literally cast on and then it's been sitting on my knitting table for two or three weeks now. And that's a pattern by Michelle Bernstein. The yarn is from Sincere Sheep in the Eureka Fingering in the colorway Brave Enough, which is a purple to yellow gradient. It's lovely. I'm super excited to work with it. And yesterday my kid had soccer practice and I thought, oh, I'll go, I'll sit, I'll bring this project and work on that because it's it's lace right at the beginning and will definitely need some concentration. So I will do that. So I was all excited. I put it in a bag. I put the pattern in a bag, went to practice. Kid goes on his merry way. I pull the bag out. I read the instructions. The first thing it says is cast on with the bigger needles and then switch to the smaller needles. Did I bring smaller needles? No, I did not. So that was a little upsetting. Luckily, I'd also brought the monkey socks. So I ended up working on those instead. (sighs) I was in such a mood to work on that and it did not happen. So I don't know what's going to happen with that one. It is. It does have a bag now. I do know that I need to find the smaller needles. Some point, maybe there will be progress on that. We shall see. But for then the the main projects that I'm working on, sock madness is continued. Another round is done. I have moved on to round five, which was very exciting. I wasn't sure how that was going to work. Have you made it this far before? Yes, I have made it to round six one time before, which is the okay. like the final. I think it was the final seven at one point. This time it'll be the final 10. So cool. we'll, we will see. I, I am not going to win for my team, but I'm, I'm okay with that. But my team finished first again. We filled up all our spots first. And it's hilarious because everyone on the team is gobsmacked. We're like, what just really? happened? How are we on this team? Yeah, I mean, everyone was like, yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty fascinator, but I'm not as I said, we have people, we have people that are working on their PhDs that have, you know, three kids under five. There's all sorts of stuff. Like none of us are super fast, but I think we're all fairly dedicated, I guess. Like we do have yeah. enough time. We're fast enough and have enough time and are committed enough that we're kind of going through it. And I think there's a certain awareness that our spots are all going to fill up and that, there's some sort of tipping point where like a couple people will finish and then a couple more. And then everyone's like, Oh my gosh, if I don't finish now, it's going to fill up and I won't move on and I'll be super sad. So then everyone races to finish, which I know is what happens with me. I don't, you know, and, and, and still everyone is really supportive. I mean, that's the main thing about this competition is that you are technically competing against your teammates, but it doesn't feel that way. You're, you're really competing against yourself. So much of it is, what else you have going on in your life at this particular moment that the pattern hits, right? Because I remember maybe my first year I got knocked out because the pattern dropped and I had three events on the next three nights and my boys were still really little. So I just, it's like, I could see my friends and have a real life or I could knit socks. It's like, I'm going to go have a real life. And if I don't move on, I don't move on. It's not a big deal. And I think a lot of people are that way. And it's not that I wasn't fast or that, you know, I was a slower person on the team. I just didn't have time. So, and people really respect that. And we had one person on our team, she submitted her socks, they were accepted and she was looking at them and realized she had either left out a couple rows or definitely screwed up some things. And she told the judges, she's like, Hey, look, I did not actually finish this correctly. I am giving my spot back. And I think she had gotten the last spot. And so 
um, they said, okay, you're right. If you want to do that, that's, you know, we totally respect that. I mean, we missed it. So, so someone else got her spot and she was good with that. And our, everybody on the team was like, wow, that's amazing. Totally respect you. Like that is, that is the spirit of the sock madness, I think right there. So, so that was really cool. But for the actual pattern, it was a sock pattern <laughs> called Little Etude by Kaua Coffee. And she's done a ton of patterns for sock madness. And all of her patterns are on, are free. They are on Ravelry. And I think that might be the only place that they're available because she just does them all for free. So I don't know, you know, she's not trying to sell them. So she's just putting them where it's easiest for her, I think. But they're always really great patterns. Uh, so this one, it was interesting because a it was more complicated in some ways than the previous pattern, but also less complicated. So it was, I guess, intarsia. So it's a plain sock with columns, I think maybe eight columns of one contrast color running up and down the sock, and then another column of another contrast color that goes in diagonals back and forth. So it's like a, a Z, a line of Zs that form diamonds. So you you have your main sock color. And for me, that was uh, plucky knitter, plucky feet in old money, which is kind of a grayish brown. And then you have to make these little butterflies of yarn because each column in a contrast color is a separate strand of yarn, which I haven't done before. I've done where you carry the color, the two colors of yarn all the way around the sock. This one, every time you're knitting this row or this column of color, you're picking up and putting down the strand of yarn. And I posted pictures of this on Instagram when I was making the little butterflies of yarn. So you have the sock that you're knitting and you have all, yes, you end up with 16 different little blobs of yarn <laughs> hanging off your sock. So trying to manage that so they don't end up in a tangled mess was a little tricky. But as far as the actual knitting, it was just knitting. Like with the brioche, there was no yarn overs, there was no lace on this. So you're not worrying about more yarn overs. It's all just straight knitting. So that was a little bit easier. And overall, the whole thing went faster. People seem much less frustrated by the whole process uh, than the, the brioche. So that was kind of interesting. So then my contrast colors, I used my leftover Lisa Souza hard twist in Electra, which is that bright purpley blue. And then I had a mini skein from Space Cadet Yarns. And I can't find the tag anymore. I'm not sure what happened to it, but it's kind of a it's basically a white, it looked more yellow when I didn't have it against the main color brown. So I think it, it turned out, it turned out well, it turned out big. Uh, so I ended up giving it to my husband and I ended up not loving the colors together. Some people came up with some really great combos. I think mine just turned out more traditionally masculine than I would want to wear, but my husband liked them or he liked them well enough that he's like, yeah, sure. Free socks. <laughs> I'll take it. So that was interesting. So the, the round officially ends tomorrow, Friday, I think around 10 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m. So we'll see if they are going to hit us quickly so that we have the whole weekend, because it's a long weekend here in the U.S. for a lot of people, to see if we get the whole weekend to knit. I'm hoping we have a little bit of time for various reasons, which I'm going to explain in a minute. But overall, that was that was a good round. I think I finished eighth out of the 20 spots that were available. So the next round we go down to 10 and it is kind of hilarious. Everyone on the team is like, oh, no way I'm making it. No way I'm making it. No, that's as far as I'm going. I'm super proud that I made it this far. No way I'm making it. I'm like, people, 10 of us are going to make it. So a lot of you are wrong. <laughs> Some of you are probably right. But it'll, yeah, so it'll just depend on when it, when it hits and uh, how complicated it is. 
So I think there's some color work. I think there's still another one with beads coming up. I don't know. I haven't really looked. I should probably at least mentally start preparing for, for something. Make sure I have everything. It is, it is like marathon level knitting. It's so insane. It is. Uh, yeah. Is it a marathon though? Because it's like, it's in spurts. It's like, because uh, like it's really intense. And then I've been sitting around for a week and a half. What's the one where they cross country ski and then, and then they do like the biathlon <laughs> yeah. the and then shooting. they stop and target shoot, yeah. catch their breath. And then they like skate across a lake and then <laughs> like build a fort with a axe. And <laughs> I, don't I don't think they do that. <laughs> That's a different one. So the reason that I want it, I'd be okay with a Saturday start, but I need Friday tomorrow to finish up my golden poppy cardigan and my not another gnome gnome because the splash pad party starts Friday and whips are allowed. So works in progress and also summer bingo. So the splash pad party is Boston Jen. It's her, the down cellar studio. It's her summer shindig and you get points for how much yarn you use basically in a project. And since works in progress count, if I finish the cardigan and the gnome on Friday, I can count them. So I'm sort of, I say I'm waiting. I really just haven't finished them yet, which is really sad, <laughs> but I am super, super close. And I think I could finish them both on tomorrow and have them count. So my golden poppy cardigan by Narika Ho in the black squirrel, Wesley Marino sock in June gloom and sea forager. It's turning out so cute. I've got both of the sleeves done now. They turned out so beautiful with the because they're the most of the body of the sweater is white. And then there's some blue color work in the poppy design along kind of the waist a little bit above. And then the sleeves, there's a fade into the blue from the white, which looks really cool. And then I am working on the button band, which does the same fade from white to blue. So it's just a lovely little design feature. I'm super enjoying it. It is funny though, because the button band, I mean, there's no buttons, It's, but, but that's, what it is. Is there another word for it if it doesn't actually have buttons? Oh, sewing lady. Like an open front cardigan? Yeah. So it's an open front yeah. cardigan, no buttons, but it's got, you know, a band that goes where the button band would be. I think she calls it a collar in the pattern because it does, you know, it goes all the way around the, the opening yeah. line. But so or like anyway. a shawl, shawl collar. Yeah, but it's not, it's not shawly. Hmm. It's just, like I think just band. open, open front cardigan. Yeah. But like, what would you call the band, the button band thing? Is there another word? Just for the it? edge. Just, oh, just, the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the edging, I guess. So that's what I'm working on. So it's, I don't know. I, actually, she she gives you a formula for how many stitches to pick up in each part of the sweater. So there's no exact number because you're knitting it lengthwise. But so it's, you know, you start at one hem and you go all the way up and around the back of your neck and then come back down to the other hem. So it's a lot of stitches. But it's still just knitting and it's garter stitch. So it's always knitting. It's not like I have to purl back. And I find it so hard to pick up and, and do it. But like a sock is the exact same thing. You're just knitting in a circle. I guess because you get to the beginning of round marker more quickly, you know, 64 stitches as opposed to 300 or whatever, it actually, whatever the, the cardigan is, it feels like I'm accomplishing something. I don't know. I bet <laughs> it's been a little difficult to, to pick it up. Like I don't want to get stuck in the middle of a row for whatever reason, but there's no reason why it should feel different from other endless knitting. And yet it does. So, but I am close. 
So I'm excited about that. And then I will have a new cardigan. And I also want to finish it before May because of my, my yarn stash maneuvering. I may, I may have bought another sweater's worth of yarn for the, uh, for the four-day sweater knit along. But like, I know I'm going to do that. So I know it's going to get used up. And it was of course. A, yeah. And it's a Tweety yarn. I didn't have anything that was exactly like that. Did I have other yarn that I could have used? Uh, probably. But <sighs> such, is, such is my knitting life. And then the gnome is, is almost done as well. That will just be a little quick project. Uh, not another gnome by Sarah Shira. Cabalicious. It's very cute. I think the final clue came out yesterday or this morning. So I just have uh, a little bit left to do on that. Kind of finishing off. I have to finish stuffing it. I think there's like arm. Oh, there must be arms. I think there's arms. There's usually arms. So there's probably some arms to knit and a nose and things like that, and then sewing everything on. So so that's exciting. So hopefully I can get those two done today and tomorrow, you know, finally finish up everything on tomorrow, and then I will be fully ready for a new sock pattern. And we will see if I make it to round six. I mean, it's possible. I have finished two rounds of this in the top 10. So theoretically it's possible. Of course it's possible. Yeah, but we'll see. You're but a if super I... fast, accurate knitter. I mean, <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I know. Well, Me and everybody else on the team though. So very so exciting. We shall see. Yeah. Uh, so I think that is all the knitting, which seems like plenty. I've been <laughs> <laughs> kind of all over the place. So what I'm is glad. on the easel? Well, I had a, a, a good solid week where I didn't paint or draw anything, which is super rare for me because normally I'm at least sketching. So um, it was a little bit tricky to, to ease back into things, but I, while I was sort of recovering, I was watching some of those David Attenborough, um, our planet series with all of the colorful birds and animals. And, and that gave me a million ideas and I was just eager to feel better and go paint. So I've been painting a few animals and birds from that just excited me from that series in my sketchbook, you know, for the fun of it. I've also been working on the May gouache grid, which is houses, teeny tiny little houses in these squares. And every time we say, let's keep it simple, let's keep it simpler for ourselves. And then we go and choose houses. And the last time I said something about tiny Victorians that I couldn't think of any, and we were over by Masonic and Geary. And there's a couple super tiny Victorians right there, like a really cute pink one. Yeah, like and right across from the mall. Yeah. yeah. And Those so I, I took a couple pictures there, but they're still incredibly detailed as one would expect from a Victorian. And so it's just trying to figure out how much detail can I really fit in a one and three quarter inch square. Some of the houses in San Francisco are more uh, mid-century and blocky, and those are fun to juxtapose with the, the more ornate Victorians or the, the Edwardian ones that have like lots of different color or different trims and that kind of thing. So it's very fun. I think I need six more houses to finish the array. And because I wasn't feeling good for driving around or anything. I just Google searched 
San Francisco houses for sale and then sorted them by color so that I could pick out the color that I needed. Or if there's one, you know, I can always change the color of it, of course. But it was fun to see like all of the, you know, we have such colorful houses. It's really fun. So that is in progress. Oh, and then the one thing that I hadn't anticipated was all of the Spanish tile roofs that are around the city. And that is a huge color component to this puzzle. And so it's been really fun since so many houses feature terracotta roofs. It's been, it's been interesting to work that into the color. And then I am a a Patreon or a patron. I'm not quite sure what the right noun is for Emma Carlisle. She's an artist in the UK and she does in her, in her Patreon account, she'll, it's a really great one for other artists because she'll put up open source images and then we can all draw from them. Sometimes she does funny monkeys or not. They're not funny, but when you draw them, I don't know, they always come out kind of funny and elephants or badgers or, and then her latest one works really well with Lemon Latitude. She posted a couple scenes from this site called Map Crunch. So Map Crunch will, if you pick a country, it'll just give you random landscapes from that country. There aren't so many from Scotland. I was a little bit heartbroken that there weren't more. I would have thought there'd be a bunch. They have all that landscape. Yeah, I'm not Mountains sure how locks and whatnot. I'm not sure what the the real purpose of Map Crunch is. I haven't it's the first time I'd heard of it, but there's there's several from Scandinavia, several scenes and sites in Scandinavia. There's tons from more from England than from Scotland. There's several in Ireland. I'm, I'm still playing with it, but I think it has a lot of potential because it looks like a boring roadway, but then you can take the, the way that it works is you can digitally transport yourself there. And then you can do like a 365 degree swivel. And so you can really frame your scene yourself. You know what I mean? So it just gives you like, yeah. So you get to kind of pick the view. You're not dependent on someone's photo. Yeah. And you could draw that one spot a hundred different ways because you could just keep changing it. And most of, they're all from a roadway because they're just, I think, um, I think it's a, like a mapping software, you know, that's meant to, you know, how we have all those self-driving cars around here or not self-driving cars, but the, those cars that are taking photos of everything. Anyway, it's new technology for me, but it's a fun way to explore place. And I even want to go back and see if there are any from Japan, because I think that would be really fascinating just to see, see what I can see. So I am, I'm painting every day this week, which feels good, but I definitely, it's still really discouraging how if I don't paint for a week, how much that I feel like it, it affects my whole process. So I'm just painting birds to, uh, (laughs) to find my sea legs again, I guess. And no real rhyme or reason. I'm painting things from Scotland and I'm painting a flamingo and I'm painting thistles and I'm painting bagpipes. I do plaid flamingo. 
a plaid flamingo. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Make him Scottish. The rare Scottish flamingo. The bagpipe playing haggis eating Scottish flamingo. Yep, exactly. Yeah, there's tons of possibility there. I mean, and a flamingo is kind of bagpipe shaped. Yes, they are both oddly shaped. Yeah. I drew the flamingo about six times trying to get the proportions right. This is the, the consequence of not drawing on the regular or missing a week rather. And I just kept giving him like super long legs. The legs were just not working out. And it's the silliest. Don't they have super long legs though? They do, but it's still got to look right. You know, like it can't be this. I don't know. I can't explain it. So I have eraser after eraser after eraser mark underneath the silly flamingo painting, but I stubbornly finished it. So there is that. Otherwise, the studio has been pretty quiet and I'm happy to be back in here painting whatever makes me curious. All right. So on the table. So I'm still cooking from uh, Simply Julia. (laughs) So the review continues. (laughs) <laughs> They've been my favorite recipes for the most part. I'm glad we we remade another thing from there this week too. Cool. Yeah, so I did the chicken and pinto bean and green chili business. I forget the official name. So my one complaint about that is that green chili is in there super prominently. So I was imagining more of a green tomatillo kind of situation. And it's the green chilies are in the Rotel tomatoes, which is delicious, but it was more of a traditional chili kind of event, I would say. So that would be my one, my one critique is I didn't feel the name. And that could also just be me that I read it. I read it a certain way and that was not how it was. However, it was delicious. I solved the problem of the chicken by just making one pot without chicken. You had said you had doubled it. And I figured if I doubled it and there were leftovers, that would be fine. There were not a lot of leftovers. So yeah, so I just made one pot as the recipe called for. The other one, I just made it without the chicken um, because you just start off by browning the chicken and then you add the pinto beans and the Rotel tomatoes and a whole bunch of spices and I forget what else. It's anyway. just beans, beans, spices, tomato. It's yeah. so simple. And a li- you can add liquid to it if you want to. Yeah, I but think I, I have... did that as well. I, I had more chicken than it called for, so I did add some liquid. Um, it really did take the full hour of cooking down to get the chicken perfectly tender. I checked it at 45 minutes and it was still, it was pretty tender and it, you know, we certainly could have eaten it, but it did need a little longer. Um, and then doing without the chicken, I was a little worried because it didn't have that, that extra heft and meatiness but it cooked down really nicely. Um, my husband really liked it. I could probably pull back on the spices a little bit. It was, I think, perfect for husband and boy two. Boy one found it a little bit much and it was right on the edge for me, which is kind of how our spice <laughs> spice levels break down in general. But yeah, super easy, really good. Definitely, definitely a family favorite, I think. So I've made that one several times now. It is a huge crowd pleaser around here. And only once have I found the tomatoes with the chilies, like the canned tomato with the chili in it. So the, yeah, the first time I just sort of winged it and I had like a little tiny can of the hatch chilies in the pantry Mm. and chucked that in with some diced tomatoes. 
and that was awesome. It was super, it had some good kick. And then the, another time I, they didn't have the chili with the tomato. And so I bought a can of, or a, like a pre-made salsa, like the tomatilla salsa mm-hmm. with green chili in it, just a cold salsa. And I added that to it and it, it didn't have quite enough kick. Mm. I think once I like, I I like the hatch chili one the best. And then I just backed off a little bit on the Chipotle. Yeah. I think probably next time I would, I would back off a little bit on that. Not too much. I liked, I liked the warmth of it. It's not, it wasn't spicy, spicy, but there was definitely some heat going on. Yeah. Um, Although, although, and and we did have the rig, the original Rotel. So that might've been adding a little zip. And I, I think it really depends on what you serve it with. If you, I mean, if you're serving it with rice or something like that, then the heat is totally absorbed in a great way if you're serving it with something, but if it's on its own, then it can be. Yeah. So yeah, this is again, that, that, awesome cookbook we think every I wonder if that recipe is online somewhere because I have really we really I can't remember I found a bunch of them on there um it would be in last week's show notes and I'm going to go back and check and it'll be in this week's this week's last time's show notes and I'll go back and check for this one because a lot of them were for various reasons and then last night I made the carrot and chickpea korma which was kind of funny because that's based on a recipe from Mira Soda, who wrote East, who we've also talked about. So I was kind of laughing about that. You make a, a cashew cream, basically, which I had not done before. So that was kind of fun. You braise the carrots in chicken broth and then use that hot liquid with the cashews to make the sauce. And then you throw it all back in the pan with chickpeas. And that was pretty much it. And you just let that cook for a while. There must be something else in there, but maybe not. Her recipes are super simple. Oh, uh, spices, turmeric and garam masala and all those good things. And that was delicious. That was just flavorful. And I do not really like carrots. I like them more than I like celery, but they're not my favorite. But this just sounded like a really interesting recipe that I wanted to try it out. And she has, she says you can kind of do it with whatever vegetable bean combo you want. So I might revisit it without the carrots, but the the sauce, the cashew sauce was really, really tasty with all the spices. And then I served that with, it didn't feel like it would be enough for the four of us. So I made lentils as well. And Melissa Clark had a recipe for spicy lentils in her dinner changing the game book, which is another favorite of mine that I have not been diving into as much. So I need to, might be time to revisit that again. Um, Those were definitely spicy those way up the ginger and the, it was a lot of the same spices, but just more of them. And they were definitely zippy. So that one we had, we had some plain yogurt with that, that, that definitely helped tame things down, but it was, it was a pretty good combo. I, I have to say, so I was, I felt pretty good about that one. And then I made a potato cheddar pizza at a night where I just could not think what I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted it Yum. to be simple. It was delicious. So this is from dinner, a love story, Jenny Rosenstrach. Mm. She has posted this recipe a lot of times on her blog and she just reposted it recently. And I was like, Ooh, yes, I want to do that. So yeah, you parboil the potato slices and put them on there with uh, cheddar cheese and brushing the edge of the crust with an oil, uh, olive oil and garlic powder mix, which 
I had never thought to do and added just this lovely little extra something, something. So that was great. And then you finish it with caramelized onions. So it was, it was an excellent combination. And uh, the husband and I really liked that. Boy too just had a pepperoni pizza. So he was happy with that, but he did. uh, I had leftovers that I passed along to him for lunch the next day and he wolfed it down. So he was, he was not against that in theory. What did you do for a crust? Um, I used uh, store-bought dough, glutinous for the boy oh. and I, and then they have, they have a gluten-free one oh, good. that you can get at my grocery store. Somebody, I think it's Udi's, makes some really nice pizza, gluten-free pizza shells that are actually really tasty. They get super crisp and delicious. I haven't loved this uh, dough as much because you, you spread it out, but it doesn't have that chewiness, and it also is hard enough to spread that it doesn't get super thin to get the crispiness that you would get. Like you kind of have to make a choice and I find it hard to get that one of the right consistency, but it works. Do you have to pre-bake it, par-bake it to hold up the weight of the, okay. So I get the, I'm going to mess up the name. I think it's Limonica's, you know, with the yellow, I don't know. They sell them at Molly Stone's and they- Is this regular or gluten-free? It's regular. But I find that one needs to like roll it out and then I have to let it rest. I have to walk away for Mm. like 15 minutes and then I can get it really thin. Oh, interesting. But the challenge with that is then transferring because, and and I par-bake it to hold the weight so that I can get it off the pizza stone. But what Mm. I really need is a pizza peel, like a total pro. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mean to hijack your pizza. No, pizza. I we don't do pizza enough in my house that I to get me at all good at it or to have any tips or tricks. It was kind of always my fallback for the kids, you know. So it's just like here, have pepperoni pizza. At least it's homemade. I feel slightly better about abandoning you. Like if we, you know, went out with sitters or we were going out to dinner or something, you know. And and for kids, you can let them put the toppings on themselves. So it's an activity, and that feels kind of fun. But then I usually will try and do something more grown up for my husband and I like potato cheddar or, you know, white pizza, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, I have a, but we I just... have a fantasy for one of those pizza ovens for the backyard, like one of mm. those wood fired ones. I love pizza, but. Yeah. And especially now that we have know. like two gluten-free, two not, it's just. Yeah. And I can I feel like it's never quite enough dough to to feed all of us or too much. I don't know. There's too many variables to make it like a quick and easy thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it just doesn't happen a lot, but, but this was delicious. So I, I, you know, I do keep trying when I think of it, this one, if you're looking for something a little different and delicious is a way to go. It's not quite clear. Like the, the caramelized onions go on at the end. They don't go into the oven with the pizza. So I sort of had made the onions and I thought they had to go on the pizza. So like I made them all through all the way through. And then, you know, started putting the pizza together and then put it into the oven and didn't realize like until I got to that point that you didn't need the, you know, I could have, there could have been more overlap in my pizza process. So that's why you should read the instructions of the recipe all the way through. Do I ever do that? No, I do not. Well, rarely. So read your instructions, people. What has been on your table? Well, I made people, well, um, people fended for themselves for like, oh. a good solid week when I was down for the count. And I think they brought me soup once and I just didn't have much of an appetite. 
And then when I was starting to feel slightly better and before I had the vaccine, I think the benefit of the vaccine, if I can say this, is like you can totally plan for it. You know, you can plan to be down for a day. And there is some real benefit to that. You know, we had tons of Pedialyte and fluids. Two days before, I was feeling pretty good. So I made this giant batch of chicken stew. And it was awesome. Like I put in, I chopped up some oats and put some oats into this. It was a little too watery. Uh And it sweetened it just a little bit. And then I added some balsamic vinegar to tone down the sweetness. And I have too. Yeah. Now I just have this amazing new chicken stew recipe, but it's, you know, it has oats in it, which I guess some people can't really do. This is just something I, I knew would comfort me. (laughs) So I made it and then they ate it all that first night. Like I didn't even have the vaccine yet. Oh, Did you get to eat it too, though? Yeah, but I mean, I really thought it would last. (laughs) So I feel like you should know better by now. Oh, I don't know. It was like they hadn't had home cooked food for a week, (laughs) which they really hadn't. So it's it was comical. So the next day I got up or I guess that was the morning of the vaccine. I got up and I prepped all of my mirepoix, like the celery onions, carrots, like had everything chopped. I had everything staged for this operation so that as soon as I came back from my shot, I could throw it all together. I even chopped up the oats, like had the oats ready to go in. I had all of my chicken stew herbs, the thyme and the, a little bit of oregano and the salt and pepper, everything ready. I never do that. (laughs) I came home and because I had had the flu, the vaccine did hit me pretty fast. So basically threw all of this in the pot and then went and laid down. And that was that. And I was so glad that I had worked out my great recipe the night before, even though I was irritated that I had to make it a second time. So chicken stew is about, that's the only food food that I have new food that I've really made in the past week. I did attempt shortbread like proper Scottish shortbread. There is a shortbread recipe in our hundred cookies book that is wildly complicated. It has, it's not wildly complicated, but compared to Scottish shortbread, it has egg yolks and vanilla extract and like two different kinds of sugar. And it gets a lot. The original Scottish shortbread recipe is basically four ingredients, flour, butter, a pinch of salt and sugar. I like it. Yeah. Well, I burnt it and it was a catastrophe and we were so sad. Um, So I have to, I really need to make, I need to figure out a good recipe. And I didn't, I didn't do anything. I mean, I followed the recipe exactly. The conversion for the oven temp was fine. Um, I just think it, my oven is really a dragon and it, (laughs) like it cooks faster, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. So that was a failure, but I did have success with a chocolate chip cherry bar. Oh, so it's cherry season. 
Oh, real cherries. Real cherries. So my cross the street neighbor last year brought us over like five pounds of cherries and this. Do they have an orchard or is this a different neighbor from the Meyer lemons? A different neighbor. Um, They're not her cherries. She has this contact in the central Valley and when the cherries are ready, he drives up and like delivers them all through the city. And it's delightful. Wow. So I did five pounds again this year. I was going to do like a cherry galette or, you know, one of those super easy folded things, but who doesn't love chocolate? Well, we have one kid who doesn't care about chocolate and cherry, but so I, it's basically a chocolate chip and cherry blondie. It was so easy to put together and everyone except the one kid who doesn't like chocolate and cherries really liked it. So that was a good success. I I just cut the cherries in half and pitted them and left them that way. So they were kind of big and chunky and it just worked really well with that batter. Like it filled in the cherry and they were suspended all the way through. And I did dust them with a little bit of flour, but that was just delicious. And I did back off the sugar on that recipe. It called for think like a full cup of sugar and I backed it off three quarters or maybe even two thirds because the cherries were sweet cherries and they were, you know, I just didn't want it to be cloying. So that is a great recipe that I'm happy to share with people. Just note that I did dial down the sugar a little bit, a lot, a lot, a lot. (laughs) I will make a note because that sounds delicious. Although I don't know I definitely am a chocolate cherry fan. I'm not sure if anybody in my house is as much of a fan. I mean, they're not going to say no. If there's sugar involved, even if it's only two thirds of a cup, Matthew, <laughs> they will be behind it. Matthew didn't. He he totally bypassed it and went straight for ice cream. Like he just didn't Interesting. care. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. He has a, right. a flavor flavor profile for sure. Yeah. So it was a, it was a tame kitchen stretch the past two weeks yeah but chocolate cherry bars i mean what more do you really need i I burnt the shortbread though of all things maybe the the, maybe maybe the directions were wrong well i'm definitely going to there's no shortbread in that highlander outland highlander (laughs) outlander cookbook really Um, no huh so I think I'm going to look through my, my other cookbooks and see who has the simplest shortbread recipe. Yeah. You don't and want then, to try that one again and just don't cook it as long or maybe cook it lower. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes when I kill a recipe like that, I'm eager to try somebody else's and see, or mm. to at least compare. Yeah. But the one, the one thing I did appreciate about her recipe was her calling for the very best butter that you can get your hands on. Right. Because it's such a butter forward. That seems reasonable. Flavor. Yeah. yeah. So they're not going to have many ingredients, then they need to be really good ones. Right, right. Even though the origins of shortbread were the dregs of the breadboard. You know what I mean? Like it hmm. wasn't, it was whatever was left over from making bread. And it could have been oats or flour or whatever kind of tossed together so that none of it went to waste. Huh. I did not know that. Thank you for the lesson. Sure thing. Uh, I mean, clearly I'm no expert because I burned it. (laughs) Well, you're more of an expert than I am. And if you need someone to help with the taste testing, I am here for you. Yeah. It was so bad. Even my husband wouldn't eat it and he'll eat any kind of cookie bar none. 
So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, look, look forward to hearing the, the, the next report, the shortbread report. On the nightstand, I, I always think I haven't read that many books, and yet I have, I have quite a list. So I will, I will try to keep it moving. I have a couple of audiobooks first. I have really been getting into the audiobooks um, and not just for my usual kind of mysteries. So that's, that's been interesting. I'm expanding my, my range and, and getting through, through more books. So that's, that's a win, I think. But the first one is The Beautiful Mystery by Louise Penny, which is Inspector Gamache number eight. This one takes place at a monastery deep in the, the Quebec woods. Uh, a monk has been found dead and Inspector Gamache is called in to solve it. It's a very reclusive monastery. There's only 20 monks. They live in solitude. No one comes in or out. But they have recently become known for singing Gregorian chants. They released, a, I think it was a CD. <laughs> It was, it's a fairly old book. So I think it was, it was still when people were doing CDs. And so they've kind of become world famous. So, and that, but they've never let anyone in. The monks take a vow of silence except for the singing. So, so yeah, this one, she's definitely getting both uh, in a lot of ways. She's become a better writer than her original books. Uh, but she also, I feel like repeats stuff a lot. It's like, yep, we know they're experiencing that feeling. And it's not just because you talked about it in the previous book. You've talked about it a lot in this book too. Like, let's move along with, with the mystery. Her through lines of the relationships between Inspector Gamache and the people that he knows getting pretty intense. So I'm interested, even though I have definitely slowed down in, in my listening pace, uh, I'm interested to see what, what happens next. I mean, it's one of those things where you have the mystery that happens in the book, but then there's things that are happening to the characters that, that continue on through the series. So I will be interested to see what happens next. Uh, and then I just finished Vanessa Yu's Magical Paris Tea Shop by Roselle Lim. This was a really sweet romance. I forget how I found it. I think it was a library recommendation and it just sounded kind of adorable. So Vanessa is in her 20s and she works at her parents' uh, accounting firm. She comes from a line of fortune tellers, or that sounds kind of hokey, but women who can see the future. And her aunt is one of them. And she is one of them, but she sees it as a burden and not a, not a good thing and has always resisted her powers, but it's gotten really bad. She's having headaches now. And so uh, she decides she needs to figure out how to control this power. So she and her aunt go, her aunt is opening a tea shop in Paris. So they're going to go, she's going to help her aunt with the tea shop and have fortune telling lessons. So there is all this wonderful descriptions of Paris and the food she's eating. She's a foodie. So lots of description of food, which is just delightful. Then there's all this romance stuff going on with her and her aunt. And so it was a really cute book. It was also a little bit all over the place. There was a lot of plot lines and things going on. And then you have a description of food and drink and some of it didn't make sense, but it was amusing and kind of kept me entertained yeah, you know, while I was washing dishes and whatnot. Uh, so that's Vanessa Yu's Magical Paris Tea Shop by Roselle Lim. That's the kind of book, though, that would be great for the bingo square that is like cook from a novel. You know, when oh, there's yeah. like so much good food in it and then there's some spark from that that makes you think, I need to make some macarons. <laughs> yeah, she spends a lot of time going to bakeries and her her romantic interest is a pastry chef so they they go to a lot of 
a lot of pastry places. So lots of good pastry descriptions. And it was interesting because she had never traveled, hadn't traveled very, or no, that's not true. She keeps saying she hadn't traveled to Europe. She spent a lot of time in Asia with her family and the Caribbean, like on family vacations. So sort of a description of Parisian bakery treats from someone who had never been there was kind of interesting. That's fun. And then they also go to an Australian pancake shop, which just felt odd. Like, why would you, why would you do that? I don't know. They said they were great pancakes, but um, it felt odd. Anyway. Okay. I guess, you know, you can do whatever you want when you're traveling. I did not realize the Australians were famous for their pancakes. I did not either. We'll have to look into that, I guess. They, They did sound really delicious. So then I also had a couple of books that were a lot more serious that were for my various uh, book clubs. The first was On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Wong, which was beautiful, really hard read. He is a poet originally, and this is his first novel, but you could definitely feel the poetry in his language, which was really, really interesting. So this is the story of a young Vietnamese man who is growing up, or I guess Vietnamese heritage, but he is growing up in Hartford, Connecticut, his mom and grandmother who are both suffering from PTSD from their experiences during the Vietnamese war, great deal of poverty. So it's, it's him reflecting on growing up that way and his family relationships. And he is also uh, a young gay man. So coming to terms with that and his experiences with that, a lot of pain in this book. One of the really interesting points was trying to figure out how much of it is autobiographical because it's, it's definitely listed as a novel in all the descriptions of it. So the, the author says that, you know, they're making it very clear that this is not a memoir, but it 100% reads as a memoir. One of the people in our group looked at some of his poetry. It's a lot of the same themes of the immigrant experience and generational trauma. So it feels like a lot of it probably is a memoir. And, you know, a lot of people, their first book is fairly autobiographical, I think, that's a, a thing that people do. So, so that was kind of interesting. We had a really good discussion. There were people who found it deeply moving and beautiful. And then there were people who thought it was not terribly well-written and too immature. And I think I definitely saw both of those points. I came down more on the would recommend. It's, it's not a fun read. I don't know that if someone said, hey, what are you reading? What should I read? I would say like, oh, definitely you need to read this. But if someone asked me, should I read it? I would definitely say yes, really worth it. It's just a side of, I think it's a side of the immigrant experience that we don't usually see in a lot of ways. So I would, I would, I would give that one a thumbs up. Yeah. It's one of those books where you you feel weird saying I enjoyed it because that's not exactly what it is, Uh, but it's definitely a worthwhile read. The next one is similar. uh, The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner, which I actually ended up listening to. Have you read it? What is that face? (laughs) I started that and couldn't I couldn't do it yeah it was it was hard too there was super intense yeah and at the time I like I was not in a place where I could wrap my head around that and I would be interested to see the exact moment when you gave up because there was a moment where I was like oh I can't do this this is this is I did need to step away and I did need to step away it's like this is too hard I can't even I cannot I cannot. So, uh, so this is a story of Rami and it starts off. She is on the bus headed to prison for two life sentences plus six years for murder of a man. So the majority of the book is 
her voice, you know, her experiences in prison, her experiences growing up in San Francisco, in my neighborhood, (laughs) a much different neighborhood that I am experiencing. She's kind of growing up in the late 80s, I think. So some places the kids still go today. So that was, that was interesting. And she's, she had a very, uh, someone said kind of a feral existence in the city. A lot of it is a take on the prison system. These people have these lives and experiences that are almost feeding them into prison. And the guards are blaming them. You made these bad choices. But in a lot of ways, they don't. And so as I said, it's mostly her voice. And then there are a couple other characters that will have a chapter or a few chapters. There's some of the other prisoners. There's a, a, a guy that is teaching the prisoners and how he gets involved with them. So yeah, it's a really hard book. I think it's really important um, as well, you know, given the mass incarceration and it's such a part of our discussion these days. So I really, again, another book where I didn't (laughs) feel weird saying I enjoyed it. It felt really important, you know, kind of reminded me of Orange is the New Black, where you've got the voices of the prisoners and, and you really get to see both sides of, of the story. Yes, they did things, but did they really you know, are, are they being treated in an appropriate manner? And I think in a lot of cases, uh, at least according to this book, the answer is no. So so that was The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner. And I think she has a new book out as well that just came out. Anyway, and I forget what it is, but I think it also is takes place in San Francisco. So, you know, I, we do always like those. So after I read those, I needed a bit of a break. So I was going to go for some romance. And my first one that I picked was not quite what I needed, but it was fantastic. Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers. And this is the story of Grace Porter, who has just gotten her PhD in astronomy. And so she's been working very hard for 11 years to get this. And she decides to have a girls weekend in Vegas. She wakes up one morning hungover with a wedding ring on her hand and wearing a bride t-shirt, but there's no one there with her. She finds a note from her wife with no signature, but a note saying, hey, this was great here's how to find me and a card for a radio station in New York. So she goes back home to her parents to try and figure out what she's going to do next. Cause she's got a job search and move on with her life. Cause she just graduated. So things go on from there. She ends up having a emotional breakdown for various reasons and decides she's going to go try and find her wife. In that part, it's a very traditional romance. They start out great. And then there's something happens and then they have to find their way back to each other. So that's all very traditional, but there is mixed in there is a lot of all of the isms. Um, you know, she is a, a black lesbian trying to succeed in the sciences. So obviously she encounters a lot of pushback. There's her whole found family, which is really beautiful on both coasts in Portland. She lives in, in Oregon. And then also the ones that she meets in New York, there is a lot of issues with mental health and how that is still really stigmatized in this country. Um, So working through that. And so there was a lot, it it felt a little, this is the author's first book as well, I believe. So again, it felt like she had all of these ideas and she really wanted to get them all in there. And maybe she could have pulled a couple of them out, but the, the core of the story was really beautiful and the writing is really good. And so lots of great things would definitely recommend it, but was not the relaxing piece of fluff I was looking for. I did find that in In a Holidays by Christina Lauren, which I think is actually two people. May is having a very bad day. She has just spent Christmas as she has every Christmas holiday for her whole life with her family and 
a group of her parents' college friends and their families at a cabin in Park City. There is a set of brothers. The one that's her age, they've always been kind of buddies, and she's always had a crush on the older brother. Last night they're there. She gets a little tipsy, makes out with the buddy brother. The other brother sees her, and he's like, eh, whatever, it's cool, which is kind of upsetting since she's the, that's the one she actually likes. And then the next morning, the one that she made out with is ignoring her. So she's upset about that. Then the parents announced that they're selling the cabin. So there's not going to be any more Christmases. So she's really upset. They're driving back to the airport. Family's in a car crash. She wakes up back on the airplane on her way to Park City. None of this has happened. What's going on? Oh my gosh. So it's like a Groundhog Day, but Christmas and romance. So it was delightful. You know, all the traditional little tropes, except with a little extra time travel, just trying to figure out what is the point? Why am I here? Anytime she goes off course, the universe says, nope. And so like she falls down the stairs and then wakes up back on the airplane, <laughs> which is a little wonky, but it's it's cute. And, you know, she's trying to figure out what is it that she needs to do. So it was adorable. Of course, it all works out in the end. Plenty of shenanigans, just very delightful. So I will have to check out some more of her books. And actually, I think she wrote, or they, because I think it is two people wrote The Honeymooners, which a friend of mine had just told me she read and really enjoyed. And so that is on on my list as well. So yes, nice and fluffy. And then I just finished 400 Souls, A Community History of African America, 1619 to 2019 by Ibrahim X. Kendi and Keisha N. Lane. It is a brick of a book. It is so worth it. It just came out, I think. And those two actually are the editors They divide up that 400 years into groups of five years. So there's like 80 different authors and they they farmed out each section to Black authors and academics and poets and novelists, just all of these brilliant intellectuals to write on something from that five years that they've got. So there's, there's, you know, events and people that you've heard of. Someone does Booker T. Washington the Great Migration, and then there's other people that we haven't heard of or events that we haven't heard of that that we should have. It's all just this great vision of American history. And then there's poetry in there as well. It was so interesting. My only, <laughs> only critique was that sometimes the articles felt too short, but that said, it was also 400 years of history. And you, know, you can't really go longer than five pages because you'd have 50 volumes of a book. But you know, I would have loved to have, there's, there's a lot of this that I would love to have been able to read more about, but it was, it was, gave me some great, great ideas for, for authors to follow up on and things to, to go down internet rabbit holes with. So that was a really, really great read and a nice variety. They did a really good job of editing and, and organizing it all. I, I, that must've been quite a task. Really well done. That's 400 Souls, a community history of African America by Ibram X. Kendi and Keisha N. Blaine. Wow. (laughs) What do you got? I have two books. Sweet. (laughs) I picked up 44 Scotland Street by Alexander McCall Smith. This was one that was on so many lists about, you know, if you want to read about Scotland, this was on almost every single list because they said it really brings to life modern day Edinburgh. So I learned when I, when I finally got it from the library, there's a foreword in there about how Alexander McCall Smith had come to San Francisco and he had 
this is like in the early 2000s, and he had had a great conversation with Amy Tan and Armistead Maupin about writing about a sense of place. And so when he went back to Edinburgh, he was writing a column or something like that in their paper. And he said something along the lines of, I really miss the days when serial pieces were in the newspaper and we could all follow along with that. Wouldn't that be fun? And the newspaper editors printed it, of course, and then took him for lunch shortly thereafter and said, okay, he was kind of just riffing basically, but they offered it to him, this idea of a serial. And so that is where 44 Scotland Street comes in. And so they offered him, go ahead and write about these characters. And and so initially, I mean, he talks about his process, which of course, you know, I love and how he, you know, he had this really strong sense of characters and, and the city and bringing it to life, but then being able to close it up, but keep people hanging for the next one and how to develop sort of a narrative or a plot arc over a serialized version of things and is one piece dependent wholly on another. And it was just a really interesting way to look at it before I had even read a word of the novel. So the novel, the serialized novel takes place in about 2005 and it's got this just fun cast of characters. There's two younger people, Pat and Bruce, and they share an an apartment in a building with Domenica, who's like 65, and Irene and her young son, Bertie, who may, it's not really clear if the child is on the autism spectrum or it goes into it a little bit, but it's definitely more Irene, who's the troublesome person. And it's just these series of foibles and missteps with their bosses and their lives around Edinburgh and their overall characters. Like Pat is kind of naive and coming into her own. And Bruce is super arrogant and he can't walk by a reflective surface without checking himself out. And it's just, they're really well-wrought characters and it brings to life Edinburgh in in a great way. There's a lost painting in it. And that was so fun for me. That um, sounds awesome. Yeah, it was really, really good. And I loved every page of it. And I read it while I wasn't feeling well. So it kept my interest. And, and it was just a great novel. It makes me realize, though, that I have never read Tales of the City, the Armistead Maupin. Oh, is it kind <laughs> of like that, do you think? I think so. I think it has these boisterous characters in it. Yeah, I think I've read that. I feel like I I've definitely haven't. So I'm putting it on my list. So that was 44 Scotland Street. And I don't, I don't know what else McCall Smith has written, but I'm going to look into his other stuff too, because his writing is so fun. It's really good. He wrote the number one ladies detective agency series. Oh, yeah, I haven't read those. Yeah, Have I haven't you? either. No, I haven't. I think that's what he's mostly known for. I thought I recognized the name. I think the reason why the 44 Scotland Street was on all the lists was because of how much Edinburgh was in there. Yeah. And I just loved that. I wish I, I have never been, but it felt like I wish there was a map 
so that I could kind of follow them around and where their apartment was. Oh, and, yeah. You know, it was like that kind of almost like a New York City novel. You know how when they. Yep. And you always get out the map and check. Yeah. I'm is. at West yeah. 79th and yeah. Yep. Can anyway. you really do that? Have you heard of the um, the bookstore that you can Airbnb? I think it's in Edinburgh. No, that is cool. Yes. I believe in Bogle and the strong sense of place people did it a few years ago. Like, I mean, probably a lot of years ago now, but you, you rent a bookstore for a week basically and you run it. Oh my you gosh. You rearrange things and you have an apartment upstairs. Yeah. The wait list is three years or something. Oh my gosh. That's so great. Yeah. How fun. We should do that. Oh my gosh. Wouldn't that be so much fun? I think so. Oh, geez. That's going to live in my brain all day now. You're welcome. Okay. Then I, then I picked up from the library, the other, remember I was talking about that Slane's Castle mystery romance, yada, yada. The second book came in, The Firebird from Susanna Kersley. I talked about this in the last episode. I talked about the first book, which is the, I I forget how I summed it up, but basically there's a writer who is writing about the past and it feels like she's writing stuff that she shouldn't know. There's some like time traveling. Yeah. So this book picks up with the, how do I even (laughs) describe this? So there was the, the old timey character in the first book had a daughter that she had to leave with another family to protect her because they were Jacobites. So, and otherwise they would just, they were afraid for their daughter's life, their young daughter's life. So their young daughter, Anna is the main historical character in the firebird. The modern day character is totally unrelated to anything from the other book. And she is an art dealer or an art dealer assistant who has psychometry powers. I have never heard of this before, ever. What does that mean? Because I have not heard of it either. It means for her, but she is in denial of her powers, which is a theme this week for us. So Nicola can touch an object and see its history can you know see when it was created or see an important moment in its history and she is of Russian descent and her grandfather had these powers too but because he was he saw people persecuted because of it he has never acknowledged it in her presence and they deny it in their family and it's it's very suppressed and that's going to work well right this book isn't as good as the first one I'm sorry to say, but I read all 550 pages of it because Susanna Kersley is a really great storyteller and I wanted to know what was going to (laughs) happen. She's written a ton of stuff because I went to the library to look up that first one. I was hoping there would be an audio book, which there does not seem to be. I'm a little upset by that, but she had a ton of books. She does. She does. And this one, other people felt similarly to myself there were just some weird little hiccups in it that it didn't necessarily take me out of the narrative but in hindsight I feel like that could have been stronger or what have you so at some point Nicola went to school I guess in Edinburgh for two years to finally hone her psychometry powers this is modern day 
This is like cell phone era, you know? And so she met Rob. He has his powers dialed in and he is not ashamed of it. And he like, I don't even know what, what I'm talking about. And so, so she's going to a school for people with powers. She had gone there and, right. and then okay. left. And then we don't know oh, why. Okay. Oh, okay. And it's like this big mystery. It's still not clear to me. So I feel like I'm talking about two different books. So it sounds like it. The, the historical character, Anna, is kind of on the run. And there are people who protect her along the way. She, in a nutshell, lands in St. Petersburg, Russia. Like, well, that's what quite a run. Called then? Yeah. And this is like 1720s, 1730s. The Jacobites were still, you know, not welcome in Scott or in the UK, I should say. And some of them were persecuted and it was, it was complicated. I don't know. So, and I might have the date wrong, but Empress Catherine is the chief royal, I guess, in St. Petersburg at this time. And she and Anna have a, a couple of exchanges. And so this item is given to Anna. Oh God, this is so complicated. Anyway, the item. There's shenanigans. The, yeah. The item is the thing that Nicola held on to and realized mm. that it had a provenance back to Empress Catherine, but she couldn't prove it. And so she goes on this boondoggle to St. Petersburg and is like touching things like old buildings <laughs> and benches to like mind travel. I'm not, I'm making it sound really hokey. It feels kind of hokey but I was able to suspend my disbelief for a while and read it. Sounds exciting. The writing is, is much better than I'm describing, obviously. But I think where, where I really appreciate the story is how she'll weave things through the historical characters that are then sort of picked up in the modern day characters. And it, it ties it together in a way that is so enjoyable, even though... I'm like, what am I reading? <laughs> so that was, th that was the Firebird. And I went deep and read the whole entire thing. And then the other thing that I did this week, book related, since I built the bingo card, I also did a ton of research about what I'm going to read this summer and populated my full to the brim holds list at the library. So I'm very excited for bingo to start. Yes, which it is tomorrow for us. But as I said, when you guys hear this, it will have already started. So get to it, people. So it starts slash started May 28th and will run through September 6th, which is Memorial Day to Labor Day here in the US. To enter, you need to post a photo of your completed or your bingo card with your completed row, column, diagonal, with the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2021 to Instagram or to the Ravelry thread that I will hopefully remember to set up if Ravelry is safe for you. And if you post it on Ravelry, obviously you don't need the hashtag because it'll just be in the thread. That's really the main rule. If you need a copy of the bingo card, it is in our stories. In the highlights. In the highlights, that's right, which is yeah. what the stories become you can... if you freeze them. Yeah. Right. So if you go, it's the first, 
first and only one right there. And you can just put a copy of it on your phone and just do it digitally if you want a digital version of it. Or you can reach out to us and we will email you a hard copy version or whatever that means. We can send you a digital (laughs) version that you can print as a hard copy. Yes. But we just want to remind people that this is, this is meant to just be your own thing. And if you feel like it fits a category, then it fits a category where we are not going to mince or be semantical or any of that. We just want you to have fun with it. For example, one entry is try a taste test comparison. Now this could be a total throwdown between you and your sister's strawberry shortcake, or you can try two different kinds of ketchup, you know, store-bought ketchup. (laughs) Like it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be, or you could try dumplings from one place and make your own dumplings and see what you liked better. That's what we, that's what we mean by really open-ended. We just want people to, to make something, do something that you love every day this summer. And I, for me last summer, this was huge because it was a really hard summer not just because of COVID, but um, with family stuff. And it gave me this, these like little stepping stone things. And by the end of the summer, I had it almost filled in and I felt kind of like a sense of achievement, you know, that I had, I had done these, these 25 things and it, wait, how many are on there? (laughs) It's five by five. The center one is free, right? Yeah. Or it's not technically free. You still have to do something vacation related. Yeah. But it just, that could be reading a book about someone else going on vacation. So yeah, it can really be anything open-ended. Yeah. We hope you have fun with it. You do not have to post photos of what you're working on or doing, but we would love to see them with the hashtag. And we do need to be following you. So if you're unsure about that or we don't respond, you know, please do reach out and let us know. We usually, you know, try and and do a roundup of when people post things and and talk about them because we get inspiration from them as well. And this year, I don't, I can't remember if we mentioned that this is not new. There are prizes at the end. I don't think we actually said that last time, but there are prizes. We don't know what they are yet, but we usually put together a pretty, pretty nice little gift basket for our winner of things crafty and cooking and book related. So that's always fun for us as well. You'll get an entry for your first completed row column diagonal and a second entry if you get a blackout, which we've, we've definitely had people get blackouts in, in the past. So, you know, keep on going, but all you need is one, one row to, to get an entry. And then we'll do a random number generator at the end of the summer and, and hand out some, some gifts. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've got to sit down with it and really, really plan things out, uh, you know, plan my attack. Yeah, it's it's pretty similar to last summer. There are some new pieces in there. And one of them is to write a podcast review, which for us means any podcast, like yeah. f- find a podcast that you appreciate and and let them know it's it's really huge for podcasters, especially those of us who are have a smaller, smaller audience of ears. So do take a minute to do that if you're if you're so inclined. And then I know that there's a particular young lady in the neighborhood who does the the bingo card every year and she just did she black out last year? Miss Maggie? Uh, ooh, I think she was pretty close. I can't remember if she yeah. did it all but yeah, she was really close. 
So this is really friendly for younger audiences. It's a great way to keep them reading and making things. And so if there's, you know, if you want to um, tailor it for your children or your grandchildren or what have you, we would so be happy yeah. to see how that's going for them as well. Yeah. yeah. I heard my nephew has been listening to us. So hi, Teddy. And uh, yeah, if you want to try and do bingo, let me know. I'm sure my sister's going to appreciate that. <laughs> Project. <laughs> but it's good. He's in middle school. He can totally yeah, do it on absolutely. Own. He's a crafty guy. Loves reading. This is right up his alley. Time to start cooking. Absolutely. Sounds Anybody good. Anybody can do it. All right. So enjoy the bingo. Let us know if you need a PDF copy. And, and we will need an email address for that as well is the only thing. So please, when you contact us, let us know what. Where to send it. And uh, until then, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.